0: Chapter 2, 1890-1910 Overview Cleveland was a tough town in the 1890s. The young surgeons Kryle and Bunce treated crushed limbs, burns, accidental amputations, and rampant thyroid disease. They were so busy, they needed to add another partner to the office. In 1892, they were joined by Dr. William Lauer, Kryle's freckle-faced cousin, who swore violently with or without provocation, but shared the partner's raging work ethic. An impatient Lauer once hopped on a horse and rode bareback to an emergency. Each shared equally in the expenses and income from emergency work, but retained the fees from his own practice. The strength of the individual was the strength of the group, Kryle later wrote, and the strength of the group was the strength of the individual. This was our creed and this was our practice. As their reputations grew and patient volumes increased, they moved to successfully more spacious and better equipped facilities. The trio had three offices between 1891 and 1921. They moved from 16 Church Street to 380 West 25th Street on the near west side in 1890. Then they acquired a suite of offices downtown in the Osborne Building at Huron and Prospect in 1897. The Osborne Building came to be called simply The Office. Cryle was the driver of the group. He was brash and innovative. He created a furor at Lakeside Hospital by bringing a phonograph into surgery. Lauer had the opposite personality. He was shrewd and careful. Bunce was the judicious elder statesman. The office was a kind of Cleveland Clinic in utero. The team included nurses, x-ray technicians, medical illustrators, and assistants, some of whom would transition seamlessly to the later clinic. The 14 office years were a kind of golden age for the partners. Through it all, Kreil later wrote, we managed to think and act as a unit. How the practice grew. The practice of the new partners grew rapidly, and by 1892 they needed an associate. Kreil engaged his cousin, Dr. William Lauer. Both had attended district schools. Lauer, born in 1867, had also been reared on a farm and, from an early age, had developed a sense of independence and an appreciation for the value of hard work and the necessity of thrift and frugality. Many years later, an associate said that, for Lauer, waste was abominable, cleanliness came first, godliness last. Lauer had attended the medical department of Worcester University, graduating in 1891. He served as house physician in City Hospital, then set up practice in Conneaut, Ohio. Bunce and Cryle had little difficulty persuading him to leave there to share their office practice. By 1895, Bunts, Cryle and Lauer were full partners, equally sharing the expenses and the income from emergency work, but remaining competitors in private practice. Mutual trust and confidence became a keystone of their future accomplishments. At this time, casualty insurance companies had arisen to insure manufacturing plants. As a preferred provider for these plans, the partners were sent 15 to 20 cases daily in addition to their general work. When the call came, they could race to the scene of serious injuries with a well-practiced team of a surgeon, assistants, and a nurse. Trains were held up for them, and they often beat the ambulance to the scene. They treated more than 25,000 accident cases in their west side offices alone. The companies they served included railroads, shipbuilders, manufacturers, and metalworks. These firms supplied a continual stream of patients with crushed hands, feet, and legs who needed young surgeons' care. Additional calls for their services came from all across northeast Ohio, from Sandusky to Ravenna. Closer to home, they did not shrink from going to calls in high-crime areas like the Triangle or Whiskey Island. Even the then-notorious McCart Street Gang allowed them to enter their territory unmolested, exacting only the occasional carriage robe, buggy whip, or horse blanket as tribute. With the continued growth of their practices, the trio moved their office in 1897 from the near west side of Cleveland to the flat-iron-shaped Osborne Building at Prospect Avenue and Huron Road. A year later, this collaboration was interrupted by the Spanish-American War. Bunce was surgeon to the 1st Ohio Volunteer Cavalry Unit of the Ohio National Guard, and Cryle was surgeon to the Gatling Gun Battery in Cleveland, also a unit of the National Guard. When they volunteered for active duty, Lauer was left alone with the office practice. Not long after the war was over and his partners had returned, he retaliated by volunteering to help quell the Boxer Rebellion in China, entering the U.S. Army as a first lieutenant. By the time he reached China, the rebellion was over, so he served as surgeon to the 9th U.S. Cavalry in the Philippines from 1900 to 1901. By 1901, the various wars were over, and Bunts, Kryle, and Lauer were reunited in the Osborne Building Office, where they remained until World War I separated them again. The period immediately before the Great War was productive. Success allowed them to give up their industrial practice along with the need to travel to small-town hospitals to perform surgeries. It was no longer necessary to go to the patient. Patients came to them. This called for closer ties to Cleveland hospitals. In addition to their busy private practices, Bunts, Cryle, and Lauer taught and helped administer at local hospitals, including some that would much later become part of the Cleveland Clinic Health System. The ambitious young surgeons also found time to travel to the great medical centers of Europe to learn from the continent's leading doctors and scientists. Bunce was in Germany in 1896, where he posted an article for the Cleveland Medical Gazette on a new technology he'd observed, X-ray visualization, then only two months old. During these years, Kreil maintained his interest in physiology and applied to clinical practice the principles that he discovered in the laboratory in the fields of shock, transfusion, and anesthesia. Lauer collaborated on some of Kreil's early works, but neither he nor Bunce shared Kreil's consuming and lifelong interest in basic laboratory research. From his earliest career, Crile engaged in ambitious speculations about the body and its motive sources. He experimented tirelessly to establish what he believed could be a kind of unified biophysical theory, a key that would unlock the deepest secrets of life. A young associate at the time said Crile could hold his trainees spellbound as he spun his elaborate ideas a pioneering illustrator. Kreil and his partners were continually refining the art of surgery and valued anyone who could help visualize their techniques. One of the most talented was Armenui Tashcin, who may have been the world's first female medical illustrator. Tashcin was born in Turkey and arrived in the U.S. in 1903. While working as a teacher, she had a tonsillectomy and later sent a drawing of the procedure to her surgeon, Dr. John Ingersoll. Soon, she was attending and sketching Ingersoll's surgeries. Her skill came to the attention of Cryle in Cleveland. He recognized her skills, hired her, and sent her to Baltimore to study anatomy at Johns Hopkins. When Toschin returned, she became Kryle's full-time medical illustrator. In 1913, Krile urgently needed an image of a salmon's brain cells to flesh out one of his theories. To get it, he sent Toschen to Alaska, where salmon are plentiful. At some point on the trip, Toschen met a man and fell in love. They married and settled down in Seattle. Krile's loss, however, was a gain for the public's knowledge of reproduction. Toschen wrote a popular book on fetal development, How I Came to Be, also titled My Birth. She also ran a free pregnancy clinic, worked for UNICEF, and was active in the National Women's Party. Her commitment to fine draftsmanship and patient health set a high bar for William Brownlow, who succeeded her as Cryle's medical illustrator and subsequent generations of clinic medical illustrators.